Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight's show, as usual, will be a very special one. And I think that you're going to walk away with some new ideas which you never knew about. And uh, I know that in preparing for tonight, I learned a number of things that I didn't know my whole life. So I think it's uh, it's very exciting topics, and uh, th- that will be in just a moment. Um, and then we're going to mention a word about the Pasha Shavua, which is Pasha's Mitzorah. Mitzorah is, uh, comes about because of the Lashon Hora. One of the questions that they ask is, uh, why in, is the, in, in the order, in the, in the in the Torah, it goes from the discussing about the the tzaras, the leprosy, so, so to speak. It's not really leprosy that's on the human being, and then it discusses about the house and about the clothes. But in reality, Hashem, when He punished a person for speaking lashon hara, He first brought it onto the house, which is the farthest thing from the human. Then He brought it onto his, the person's own clothes, and eventually, if He's still not liking taking it seriously, it was on the person himself. So why did they, the, the Torah, not go in that order? Very, very beautiful explanation that in order to get the message across, when the azhara, when the warning is given. It's given to the person and realize, you know what's going to happen in the end? If you keep up this Lashon Hara, it's going to end up that it's going to affect you. So to get the message across, they started with the end of the story. That's, I think, an interesting uh, little uh, insight into the Parsha. But today's topic is just, uh, you know, we have to avoid from anything that would be, that would be called Lashon Hara. And I think that the way we're going to be discussing it wouldn't fall into that category at all. But whenever we're dealing with Kashrus issues, we do have to worry about a specific issue of Lashon Hara. And I'm going to tell you how I handle it to the best of my ability. And uh, you, you can uh, put it into your own uh, plan of how you're handling it when you're asking a rabbi. You know, Lashon Hara is forbidden for anybody, whether it's a rabbi or it's somebody who has a problem and need, it's still going to be lush and horror. The words that you're hearing about a kashvis agency or a rabbi or whatever it is, those words are lush and horror. But lush and horror is allowed to be spoken in case of necessity when there's a need. Uh, the need being, not the need, I have to hear it, <laughs> the need being that you need the information to make a decision for yourself. I like to prevent the self person from uh, getting uh, into a wrong shidduch or uh, in a business deal to be, be protected. So in those kind of cases, you're, we're allowed to say Lashon Hara, but, and you're allowed to hear it, but you're not allowed to believe it. So then what, what's the point? No, you're allowed to function as if it were true, you're what we call choshesh miyaboye. You can be suspicious that it might be true. You can act accordingly, but you can't believe it and you can't repeat it. So really, all that has to be spelled out in the beginning. I'm asking you a question. Um, I'm not interested in lashon hara. I have to know this for this and this reason. Uh, can you help me? And the answer is yes. I can help you, but you should understand what I might say might be lashon hara, and you should take that to heart and not say it to anybody else and not believe what I'm telling you. And that's what I try as much as possible to do. And another thing I try to do is to say this is uh, it's not for you. <laughs> Rather than say something about the person, I'm saying it's not for you, meaning that 
And we all understand there are different madregos, and some people are very ma- very machmir. And I, my assumption is that it's not for this person, um, even if I don't know who that person is. But I, I, I get the message across that way a lot better. But still, in all, people have to realize when you ask the question, it's lashon hara. And uh, when you when the rabbi says the answer, it's also lashon hara. But you, you don't have to believe it, and that's uh, the way you save from that. Just want to say hello to some of the. The family, I see my, some of my grandchildren listening in now. So uh, I want to say hello to you if you're on East 8th Street or in, in Hearthstone or wherever you're located. Okay, now I'd like to uh, talk about the topic of the day. Everybody is talking about it, about the beer, they call it the beer controversy, which is very, very unfair. And I'm going to be able to teach you a lot about how to deal with these different situations. First, let me tell you what I heard from Rabbi Shimon Eider, who was one of the main people in establishing Kashrus the way it is today. You know, when I used to go to the ACO meetings of the Association of Kashrus Organizations, I was pretty much of an outsider and because I don't do Hani Hashkachas at all. I'm just a, an editor, that's all. I, you know, somebody who's following the field, working in it although I spend a lot of time trying to change things. But that's a different story. That has to be kept out of the uh, public eye. In any event, Rabbi Shimon Eider used to go to the ACO meetings, and when he said something, the place quieted down and listened. Whatever he said carried a lot of weight because he also was not a major in the cautious industry. Basically, until he... Got uh, involved in, and he got involved in the giving us. He did some hashkachos, and he involved in business himself with the gelatin. But basically, he was a rebbe, a poisek, uh, a wonderful person, and uh, <laughs> I got a lot from him. And Rabbi Eider used to get up and speak, and the place had to react. And 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 we, you know, the the, the kashrus field had to deal with different situations over the years. And he taught me, Rabbi Eider, an important lesson. He said that he heard from Rabbaran Cutler Zatzal, because he was a Talmud there. He said that Rabbaran told him that when a situation comes up, basically this is how you deal with it. And Rabbi Shimon Eider twist, tweaked it a little bit, and this is how it came out. Rabbi Shimon said, that when I hear of a scandal or problem, an exciting thing that's happening in Kashrus, I discount 80% of it. In other words, 80% of it, I say, is hype, confusion, not the true, and that's where I deal. And then I'll sit down and I'll be done. I'll look into the last 20%, which means I'm not so confused. I'm not, I'm not going to fall for it. And I, I've tried as much as possible to maintain that approach as well. When you hear a big scandal, a big problem, very often it's not really 100% true. Maybe the 20% is true, maybe not, but you can look into the 20%, but right away say, nah, that's usually the truth. So I'm going to share with you this so-called beer controversy, which is not a beer controversy, and it's not a machlokas of the kashrus agencies, even though some people wrote it up that way. I don't even expect to write up anything right now, maybe for Pesach or next year. Maybe I'll write something that, that explains some of the issues. But I really want to sit on this because it's a very, very interesting topic.
And uh, it, a lot of things I learned just today and in the last few days that I absolutely didn't know. And I'm going to share with you some things that you don't know and that nobody knows who's listening to the show. So some of the things that I, I happen to have learned, I will share with you now. Let me start with the basics so you shouldn't get confused. There's a Jew in the area who distributes uh, beers, uh, 114 different brands of beers, 114 different brands of beers he distributes to the New York area, a lot of New York City, and he is a major distributor, not just a major distributor of beer, et cetera, et cetera, that what they say is that he's one of the largest beer distributorships in the in the country by a Jew who's handling New York. He's one of the largest beer distributors in the country. Okay? That's not a small thing. And uh, most of it's being sold right here in New York City and the metropolitan area. So he has not been selling his chametz, even though he's a Jew. He's not been selling his chametz. He's not an observant Jew. And so he never got around to it, and, and people tried to get him to do it, but he didn't do it. He has a lot of reasons why he didn't do it. And there were some concerns about how do you handle a sale? I'm not allowed to sell beer that way. You have to have a license to get it, to buy it from me. That's not a partial thing. Illegally, am I allowed to do it? And, and he wasn't convinced of the importance of it, et cetera, et cetera, until this year, within a few days before Pesach. So here's what happened. The, the Star K had been researching this and working, trying to get this Jew to buy the, to get into uh, selling his chametz, and it wasn't successful. And other uh, organizations also approached him because they all became aware that he was the one who ha- had control of all this beer. So he wasn't interested at all. So the Star K put out a list because it looked pretty much like this year, 2018, it was not going to be a Mechiris Chametz. So they put the, the, the list out, and I was sent the list. And then the next day, which, by the way, this is all taking place in Cholamoyed, it came to me. Uh, I didn't see it because I wasn't the, even there near the, I wasn't in the office, but I know it was sent to me. And then I got a, 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 the, the person, a person contacted me from the Star K and said, dismiss everything you have because the OK sold the, uh, the chametz for that, for that person. So, okay, that big list of 114, it's going to be, when I see it, it's going to go into the garbage. We're going to put it into trash, and it'll be the end of it. Uh, then I open up, see, right after Yom Tov, that there's a whole beer issue here in the Star K and the CRC in Williamsburg, the Sachtas Rabbonim, came out that you can't use these beers this year. And yet I heard that the Star K heard that the OK sold it. And then I see a letter from the OK that they sold it. And it's a very deep, not a big detail letter. Then I hear a, a, a then I have a, a letter written by the person who actually sold the Chomets for the, for the OK. And uh, it's an interesting letter, a very, very interesting letter, long letter, all in Hebrew, very interesting letter. And now all this is happening, and I still don't get it. And I'm wondering what's going on. And I'm sure that the people then and maybe even now might be thinking, oh, my goodness, there's a fight between the rabbis here. And that's not it. That's not what happened. 
And I'm going to try to help you today to understand what actually did happen and what's happening every year. And uh, then I'm going to throw you one more thing that you don't know at all, and that is that there's a community outside of New York. Uh, I'm not going to tell you where. And there is a supermarket that they sell the chametz through a rabbi, and they've sold the chametz to the rabbi for I don't know how long. It's been years and years and years and years. And the vadakashras of that particular community gave out a list of where you can buy chametz after Pesach. And they said, you can't buy it there. This is a supermarket where the rabbi's been selling it for many years, a very orthodox rabbi, no question about it, and a responsible Jew. And, uh, you know, the community is confused. If the man is selling the chametz, what's wrong? Because we always heard. Everybody, you know, has been around a few years, heard about Ramosha Feinstein saying that you could sell chametz from the supermarket. So what's going on here? Very confusing. I was confused, to tell you the truth. I never, I didn't get it until maybe a couple hours ago, maybe even less. <laughs> it, the whole thing is starting to crystallize in my mind. I'm working on that 20%, right? And the, uh, and, and the thing, the first thing to remember is when you see there's a big machlokas of rabbis, don't believe it. Don't believe that there's sin, uh, the uh, Some people said to me, it's money, money, money. No, 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 no. There's something here different. The Star K has had written up their procedures and their concerns about some of these sales for a long time now, a couple of years, and uh, this is not new. And I'm going to be quoting from the OU on the topic also. So this is a this is not something that uh, came out on some internet site and some uh, the, there was a a program which was a very good program very interesting program i mean you might want to listen to it i might mention it a little later a very interesting program about this whole topic but i think i'm going to help you through it maybe even more than everybody else because really there's no controversy between the cautious agencies there's a difference of opinion in halacha that we're going to dis- explain tonight very interesting discussion. Now, I have a few sources, and I'll mention them as I go along, and then I'll tell you some places if you want to look up the real sources in the halacha. That's for the people who have the time for it and the ability to, to, to do the research. Uh, one thing I'm referring to is Rabbi Yahir Hoffman, a good friend of mine from the five, five Towns Jewish Times. Very interesting articles. Everyone is a gem. And uh, he he taught, we worked together on a certain issue, very interesting issue. Can't talk about it at all on the radio. <laughs> anyway, uh, he told he tells a little. Some of the stuff that I'm taking now is from that particular article, and uh, it's good to think it, you had a hold of it if you can the whole the original article. You just uh, type in Rabbi Yair Hoffman, H O F F M A N, Yair Y A I R, Five Towns Jewish Times, or. One four, 114 brands, are they kosher? <laughs> you know, such and such. Okay. Well, it's a say beer controversy, whatever you want. So this, wh- what happened is that the, you know, well, let's start in here. The OK has uh, a halachic backing from uh, the Belzer Dayan. And he was consulted on exactly how to do the sale of this particular place. 
And that's, uh, that's where they're coming from. And the letter, I have a copy here. Unfortunately, I couldn't get a letter that I could read properly. I have to get one that you could read easily. I wasn't able to find it. So I'm going to just tell you a little bit about it. Uh, the letter from the OK says that the, the Mechira was based on well-known uh, positions of Poiskim, including of Moshe Feinstein, Rev, I cannot read this, Rev Yaakov, I cannot read the name, that's the, my problem, and he said, which was very important, the, Rabbi Daniel Levy said, that this is crucial, he said that uh, it does comply, uh, I'm sorry, he says that it complies with the shittas of, it doesn't go against the, the opinions of the Maram Shik, the Stei Chemed, and the Divrei Yoyel. Well, I don't have the Divrei Yoyel's uh, 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 information, but I have Maram Shik and the Stei Chemed, I'll mention in a minute, where what they say. But the point was, they're not only going with Ramosha Feinstein, they're trying to be Yotze, the Machmirim, on these particular issues. Now, what are the issues? And what do they do? And what didn't they do? And, you know, it, uh, people have to get to understand the topic. So let me just go into a simple question here. Uh, can a person sell the chametz of a, a Jew who is going to cheat? And he's going to sell, buy chametz, sell chametz on Pesach. That's the key question. A supermarket is buying and selling chametz on Pesach. A, a beer uh, a distributor might be getting deliveries and selling for sure during Pesach if if he's not religious and that's what he does. So the question is, first of all, is the sale valid? Number two, uh, what is the value of that sale? Because you can't you can't cover the stuff that's coming in the, on Pesach. That you're not covering. You can't sell that. It's, that's a davar shalobol oilam. The the the, uh, the the contract does not include that which I will buy on Pesach. No, no, can't do that. So obviously, a certain amount of his chametz is new chametz. And now how does that fit into the mix? If I'm buying right after Pesach, am I buying the chametz that came in on Pesach or the chametz from before Pesach? And what's the numbers? It, it could get a little confusing. And so what value is there in this whole sale to start with? And, you know, that's the basic question that comes up. So uh, let me share with you one thing that I had learned from my Rebbe, Rav Asher Zimman. Rav Zimman said... We had a Shaila like this. Could I sell, or anybody, could you sell chametz from somebody who doesn't ask you to sell the chametz? Let's say you have a next-door neighbor who's not religious, and uh, he openly, you know, flaunts Pesach, or better yet, he keeps Pesach, but never sells his chametz. He puts everything away in, in, the, in the cabinets, but doesn't sell it, doesn't believe in this, doesn't know about it. He's not really orthodox, but he's still observant of kashrus and puts away all the chametz, doesn't need to drop a chametz of Pesach, but he doesn't sell it. Can I go ahead and sell his chametz for him? 
Well, if you knock on the door and they ask him and he says yes, then no question. But can I do it without telling him? And is it valid? So my Rebbe said, yes. <laughs> and uh, we used to include in, in his, the Shtar Mechira, uh, we used to include certain people in that Shtar Mechira. And he felt it was not invalidating the Shtar Mechira. Now what happens if the person is not religious and actually uses the Chomets on Pesach? So Rav Zimmin said, so he's stealing from the Goy. The non-Jew bought it. Now this person is not observing Pesach, so they're stealing from the Goy. But it's, it belongs to the Goy because he sold it. It doesn't belong to him. So now, now I made him a criminal. <laughs> he's, a, he's robbing from a non-Jew, and I made him the criminal. So the answer is, it is uh, considered to be a benefit because the overall effect is better than he should get all the Averis of all the Chomets in his house for all the days of Pesach. Just today, I learned a topic that throws a little monkey wrench into this, which I haven't discussed with any Rav yet because I just learned it today. It's a very interesting halacha. And that is, if i causing somebody else to do something, to lose something, I, I'm, it's called groma. Grama ben Ezekiel is potter. But maybe, maybe if I'm causing another Jew to do a sin, it's lifnaiver. I'm causing him. I'm presenting to him this opportunity to steal from the goy. Am I guilty of that? Am I now culpable or partially culpable on his stealing from the goy when he eats his hummus sandwich? Or am I out of it because I did something nice? Maybe I gave him an overall better gain than loss, but maybe... I contributed to his Avera. So this is something you could <laughs> have to discuss with Rabbanim, and I hope to, to look into it a little further myself. In any event, the Rav told me that we could sell the Chametz, and he put it into the Shtar Mechira. Now the Maram Shik is in Orachayim, uh, Maram Shik is in Orachayim Reish Hay. And the Maram Shik says that the fact that the irreligious store owner is still conducting business demonstrates that the sale is a sham. There's nothing here at all, no sale whatsoever. This is also the, the view of the Minchas Shai, the Divri Malkiel, which Divri Malkiel is Dalid Chof Dalid. I don't know where the Minchas Shai is. And the Stei Chemed, which is in Chometz, Tes, Lamed Hay. So we have here a number of people who say that such a sale where he's open for business on Pesach is a sham. It's a fake. There's no value in it. Those are the Machmirim. So we have at least the Stei Chemed, the Devi Malkiel, the Menchashai, the Maram Shik against us. Now, who do we have saying that it works on some level? So we have, among others, but starting with the ones we have, we have, of course, Rav Moshe Feinstein. Now, Rav Moshe Feinstein wrote three tshuvas. I looked up two of them, and in the place where I was today, unfortunately, the other one was out of the shelves. They had hay, they, had, they didn't have head dollars. So it was out of the shelves, I couldn't find it, and so it, I wasn't able to look it up. And they say that the third tshuva, which is in its late volume, it's volume number four, uh, Archaim number four, and the Archaim Dalid, it's a late volume, and I'm not everybody... Uh, appreciates all the lateness of some of the volumes, uh, especially when if something was clear in 
in the first first two chuvas that were discussed, when Rav Moshe was alive and he was younger and he was active, then chuvas that were written either after his death or when he was very very old or and he wasn't really conducting the he wasn't putting the sefer together. The question is whether those last chuvas, even though they were written by Rav Moshe, whether they had the same validity because uh, it, it may not have been his will to put them in. He might, have, uh, he might have refused to put them in because he wanted to give a different approach, and that's the ones he published in his own, under his own uh, efforts. So that's a question that uh, Poiskim like to talk about, and I'm not going to lose myself in that one today. In any event, Reb Moshe, in the first two tshuvas for sure, clearly says that the sale is a good sale. It doesn't invalidate the sale if the person, the Jew, buys and sells, if, if he sells. Now let's leave the buying for a second. If he sells chametz on Pesach, it does not invalidate the sale. And they were talking about supermarkets, and supermarkets get deliveries on Pesach. And the fellow was not religious, they're getting deliveries on Pesach. So, so you have here a situation where Rav Moshe was makel on this sale, and I mean, it's a lot of years. I still I remember this going back thirty years, maybe more, that people were using this sale for supermarkets. I mean, trying to remember. I think I was still a kid. I think I think this is real old that people in America were using. They were selling supermarket uh, for Pesach. And uh, one of them is Rabbi Eliezer Taitz. His father before him, Rabbi Taitz, used to sell the chometz for uh, Shoprite. And Shoprite has a distributor, which is Wakefern, and all of the owners of the Shoprites participate in Wakefern. They're partial owners, and so he would sell the chometz of Wakefern and the chometz of the of the Shoprites. So even the deliveries that came in on Pesach would actually have been sold. They were moved, and maybe there was a sale going on, but the actual chametz had actually been sold, and that sounds like a very strong sale, and yet I know that some of the people, they're not using these sales anymore. They, they, they're trying to go beyond it, because in, we're seeing now uh, an effort by some of the cashless agencies to be machmir on these topics. So that's what we're seeing. It's not an attack A against B. It's choosing in halacha which side they want to go. And is it possible to be yotze all the opinions on these things? Probably not. Probably would never get any place to acquiesce to the most machmir sides. But in any event, that's what's going on. So let's go back to our discussion here. So who are the Mekilim with Rav Moshe? Well, there's a Chelkis Yaakov that seems to also be Mekil. That's in Gimel uh, Lamed Aleph. And we have more people. I have here on the Makel side, I have the following. I have the Divrei Chaim, Memvov, and I have the Chelkas Yaakov, Lamed Aleph. So we definitely have people who are saying that the sale, even though the man sold Chometz on Pesach, does not invalidate the sale. I heard on this show that was recorded, and you can hear it on if you, uh, if you get a chance to hear the recording, that somebody said, who was in the family of Ramosha Feinstein, that Ramosha Feinstein really meant differently than we understood from the tshuva. But it's so clear in the words in the tshuvas 
that he's saying that it's 100% valid, the sale. It's very hard to believe that he had a different opinion. He may have felt that you should avoid this whole thing completely. I'm giving you a heter to Rabbi X, Y, or Z. There were a few rabbis he gave heterim for written in the Chubas. And, you know, and, 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 and they have to do what they have to do. But I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. It could be, but there's not a word of it in the tshuva. It could be personally that they knew what he held. Fine, but that's not a tshuva. A tshuva is written in the book because we want you to see the words. We don't want you to, to ask the family, what did I really mean? When you're writing a tshuva in the book, in the sefer of his childs and tshuvas, you want the future generations to see the words there, and they have to learn from those words. They can't learn from the stories in the family. So we know that Ramosha clearly said that such a sale is valid. That's clear as a bell. Now, what happens uh, if the owner insists that the sale is only a halachic sale, meaning it's not real? I know it's not real. I'll, I'll sign the paper, but I, 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 it's not a real sale. This is not a valid thing. It's not legal. You're not going to be able to get me to, to give up my business. <laughs> You're not going to buy it away from me. Yeah, so what, what is it? That's an interesting question. So uh, Baruch Fink, Frankel, uh, the odd based in of Lipnik, he said that this is uh, not appropriate. And uh, the Chassam Sofa said it's valid. Even though the man says it's, you know, I don't believe in it. But he signed it. He gave it away. He, yes, he said he, he did it. Now, we could go in Bastin and get it out of him. So some say, Bastin, back to the Chassam Sofa sign, you can get that money out of a person with Bastin. You try to do it today, he'll take you to court, and he'll wash the floor with you in a civil court and say there's no bearing on Bastin, and you can't go, go in and attack my, 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 my business, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, it's not really going to, uh, it's not going to hold up that uh, we're going to be able to get Bastin to enforce it. So halachically, it might be valid, and the Chassam Sova might have permitted it in our time, but that's a question that's also open. That is another question. I don't want to lose myself in it because I don't have time tonight, and it's it's something I didn't look any further into than, than when this little piece over here. It's called Mechira Lizman, when you sell something for a short period of time. That's questionable, and that may fit in here as well. So basically, um, and I'm just you know summing up from what I have from uh, Rabbi Hoffman, he's saying that we really have three halachic doubts about whether or not this particular sale works, and uh, we have a number of poskim that are on e- either side, and therefore there's a question. But there is a shtickle heter, and the heter is based on the Mishnah Brura, and this you could look up. It's an interesting Mishnah Brura. It's Mishnah Brura. In Tough Mem Base, Hilchas Pesach. Mm, interesting, right? Tough Mem Base, Halacha Hey. Maybe he means Sif Cotton Hey. I didn't have a chance to look at it myself, but he quotes that Tough Mem Base Hey. The question is a Suffolk Chometz. A Suffolk Chometz, Sha'alval of a Pesach. We're talking about something that wasn't sold before Pesach. The Halacha is that if a Jew didn't sell his chametz for Pesach, then he's a forbidden, and everybody is forbidden to use that chametz after Pesach. 
If you know that he didn't sell his chametz on Pesach, then you can't go near that stuff. You cannot use it. You can't, he cannot have any benefit from it. You cannot have any benefit from it. You cannot eat it. 100% there's a kanas on the chefza, on the thing itself. You can't eat that food if it was if it was chametz she'avol Pesach, where he had it during Pesach and didn't relinquish his authority over it for the Pesach. So that's that's clear as a bell. Now the question is, um, what about if it's a suffix chametz of a Pesach? So this is you know certainly maybe qualifies for suffix chametz she'avol Pesach because you see here a machlok is a paiskin. and even if you take one side, you got to admit this is a big. Question, and there are many fine uh, Paiskim and Rabbanim that are being makel. So that might qualify for the Chafetz Chaim's heter. The Mishnah Brewer says, he brings a view that if there's a doubt, you can eat Suffolk Chametz Shalva Pesach. It's a debate among the Paiskim. Uh, you know, Paiskim have ruled that when there is a need, one can rely on this as a lenient view. So that's something very important, a suffix shalmechabesos. There's another thing, too, which i got to throw at you. I don't have time to go into it now. But, well, actually, I have time. And I will go into it. And I'll do it now. <laughs> I changed my mind. We're going to go into it now. Let me try my best to get it for you. Well, I got the, a better copy of that sale. Uh, still hard to read. Okay. Let me mention, I said that I have here something interesting. And that is about the beer process. Now, I have a piece from the Star K, very well done also. The Star K has several interesting pieces on their website about a beer alert going back to 2017. And they, they, they've been really into this topic very much since 2017, and even earlier, I think, on the website. But this is about from 2017, they're discussing Maryland, where they're located, a beer alert on for Pesach for 2017. And they go through about what beer is all about on their website. And I want to share with you one particular thing which is very, very important. The, the Starke has a whole discussion about how to make beer. I'm not going to go through it. I don't even know how to pronounce some of these words. But it's a whole procedure. So uh, one paragraph, but it's a whole discussion of the enzymes and watering and and uh, draining off, and uh, it's a very interesting topic. But I'll sum it up for you. That they claim they claim, which is probably true. I'm, I'm not questioning that. I don't mean claim, but they they say that the process of converting starches to sugars and then to alcohol, which releases CO two along the way is a fermentation and precisely defines the leavening process. In other words, they're saying this in beer making is exactly what chametz is with flour and water and, and the dough rising. The fermenting process is exactly that process. In dough, the CO2 is trapped and causes the dough to rise. With, with beer, it creates a carbon, the carbonation, carbonation, a defining characteristic of beer. So they say the carbonation, the CO, you know, the bubbles and everything. So that's that's a show, a sign that it uh, fermented, and it's like the dough rising. And therefore, they say that it should be exactly the same. It should be it should be real chametz. There is, however, the question that maybe it's not real chametz. Some hold that beer is not real one hundred percent chametz. 
So if we take that and go back to our Mishnah Brura, who says that a Suffolk Chomets Sha'ava Alava Pesach is mutter, then we really have a Sveik Sveika here, a Suffolk whether the beer is really Chomets, and the Suffolk whether or not the Halachi is like these poskim or those poskim. And that the Sveik Sveika would be Matir even a Doraisa, certainly it would be Matir Chomets Sha'ava Pesach. So that's a good reason if for, the, for people who um, want to go in a more lenient fashion, and uh, and not to be too concerned about it, there's definitely opening for that. Whether a Rav would agree with what I said now, some people will, might call me up and might send me emails and tell me they don't hold from what I just said. It's a t- it's a discussion. We're not telling you the halacha lemaisa here on the show. We're giving you the background information, and you have your own local Orthodox rabbi to ask. And if he's not familiar with it, you could send him to me, but I'll just send him to, the, to these articles and, and give him uh, some direction in general. But I'm not going to tell anybody what to do on this topic. Some of the people ask, why didn't we hear about this until now? The answer is, the Star K writes, we're only in, we were only informed of the Jewish ownership of major distributors in the last few years. So... Uh, how how does the Star K work in Maryland? One of the things that they do is, uh, this is amazing, is that the companies have records and inventory tracking systems, and they're working closely with the Star K to local Maryland uh, distributors and companies so that they're, so they're able to assess what is being sold, where they're selling it from after Pesach. So that uh, is amazing in and of itself. Um, I, I want, it goes further. They have something very interesting also, that some stores set aside part of their stock, which will be marked, you hear this? Star K approved stickers. Could you imagine that? Stickers, not Chomach of all, not, not gebacked after Pesach, not baked after Pesach, but, but, but sold before Pesach. <laughs> there's stickers like this that the Star K is is putting on in some stores locally over there. Well, they obviously are on top of the situation on a local basis, but in New York, it's a huge area, and we don't they don't have that kind of control here. There is a Star K is operating here in New York as well, but they don't have that kind of, kind of control. So, uh, you know, I, I I don't know how everybody knows in their particular store if they're relying on the Hetairim. Um, uh, that uh, of selling the selling of the, the, the that the way these was sold by the OK they can rely on that if they want to they'll be machmir and go to Maryland to buy a beer. <laughs> now I want to go on to uh, well, my question. Yeah. Uh, sure. There's something that I, I noticed uh, stickers that baked after Passover and the Tavshinaichet and you saw it before Pesach. Yes. I, well, this is a this is a problem because you see that the the concept of Gebacht noch Pesach, baked after Pesach. The Hasidim had this idea, and a very nice idea, and people was you know were were putting that on, and and originally it was all done after Pesach. Now Gebacht noch Pesach being on something that was actually made before Pesach doesn't sound kosher, and it really shouldn't be done, and it's misleading. But probably what if anybody does it, I'm not saying anybody does it, but if somebody does it, they're probably mean to say we took care of the Pesach issue 
but that's not really appropriate because you wanted to buy something fresh that's, and chewy. Yeah. I mean, everybody remembers the first bagel they had, the first pizza they had, the first uh, cookie they had, or whatever it is, and they know that it was this is fresh because it didn't sit in the store for a week, didn't get distributor distributor for a week. You know it was really, really fresh. Okay, so I don't know. They have no right to do that. It's definitely misleading people. The bigger problem is that the stickers are put on sometimes at the store level. Sometimes the stickers go on something else, not the one that's supposed to go on. There's a lot of issues with stickers. That's why for Pesach they don't use stickers, but the Gebachnach Pesach, they're still using stickers as far as I know. Because it costs too much to do a printing. Now, I'm going to go over to my good friend, Rabbi Yaakov Luban. I hope he still thinks I'm his good friend. <laughs> Whenever I read some of his art, this article, it's beautiful, beautifully done. I don't know when he did it, but I just read it today. So I didn't I didn't know about the article before. You'll be meichel me, but it's a beautiful article. And it's just right there on the OU website if you get over there. The supermarket controversy. He didn't get into this beer thing uh, right away, it's sort of lost in the in the in the, sh- in the shuffle there in the end. But basically, it's it, he's talking about uh, supermarkets, which is the same topic. Rabbi said it's the same topic that we're talking about. So let's so as as Rabbi Luban points out, there were no shop rights in the fourth century Babylonia when the when the Gemara was uh, redacted, was written and redacted. So obviously, the supermarkets are a more recent innovation, but the the theories that it's based upon certainly go way, way back. Now, we know that there's a Chomach over Pesach, you get penalized. The question is, would it apply to this case over here, over the supermarkets? Sometimes there is a partner that's Jewish and sometimes and a Goy together, they're sharing the partnership. Now, then you need a Mechira, especially if the Jewish partner is the manager also, so then that's for sure. And if he has a, the majority, for sure. And I think you remember uh, Wallbaums. Wallbaums was owned by the, fa- the Wallbaum family. And uh, it, it was for years and years and years that was their family. And it was sold. And it went to A&P, the German company, bought it out. And uh, that's, that's basically what happened with Wallbaums. But Wallbaums had the family involved in some way. So for years and years and years, I'm going back about 15, 20 years at least, I don't remember, I can't remember my years anymore, so I don't know what exact date it was, but somewhere back then, the Wallbaums were still in the, all the ads, and the Wallbaums had some decision-making aspects of the company still under their control. And uh, Rabbi uh, Blumenkrantz, Zechunah Lebracha, brought in his book that you have to be concerned. And uh, a lot of the people were concerned at that time that you still have to worry about the Wallbaums ownership of Wallbaums, even though they don't really own the whole thing. But there's some kind of power that they have. And many companies, uh, we discovered, this was we didn't discover this until maybe the 80s or 90s, I don't know when we discovered this, that there's a lot of businesses that are owned by uh, 
the public corporations, but there's a board of directors. And very often that board of directors included a number of Jews, maybe the majority of Jews, and very often the chairman of the board was Jewish. And it started, we, 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 they were teaching, Shimon I was teaching it as well, that uh, when somebody has that kind of control, he may not be the actual owner of record. He may not be making all the money, but he is doing the decision-making. It's a kind of control. And I know that Rabbi Taitz, when he'd sell, his, sell the chametz for the shop rights, he included also the manager. The manager had to also sign off on it. It wasn't enough just the owner of the company, but the manager, because he had a day-to-day control. And it's interesting, if you want to know, I know the, the supermarket business from the inside a little bit, and that is that some of the supermarkets, the, uh, the, the manager does nothing. He doesn't order a thing. It's just sent in from corporate. They order the food and keep sending it in, and he just gives reports on how much is sold, but he doesn't make any decisions. In other cases, the manager decides what comes into the store. He makes the decision of what we're, we're taking in. So it's very interesting, and uh, you know that, that that is all part of this decision of how you sell. Moving right along, um, let me share with you this problem. And this is one of the things that I came across, and I have to admit, I said it here on the air, and uh, I was probably wrong, and I all these years I was probably wrong, but my Rebbe told me this, and it must have been the reality when he said it. So I should have followed up on, rea- on any changing reality. So I'm going to read this line over to here. What items are included in the prohibition of Chomet Shalva Pesach? Bread and cookies, da-da-da-da-da. Interestingly, even flour is problematic because wheat is tempered in water before milling and flour has the status of chametz. Whiskey, beer, and other alcoholic beverages distilled from grain also pose the same concern. So he claims, Rabbi Luban, that flour is chametz. I was always under the impression that flour is not chametz, even though I know that it was it, something was done to it before, I didn't know that it was tempered with water. Oh, maybe I did know that. But before the milling, and they, they consider it, at least a lot of people consider it to be flour, to be chametz gomer. So therefore, A, you should sell, if you don't sell chametz gomer, so don't sell flour. B, I mean, I'm assuming this is correct, what I'm reading now. And, 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 and B, um, don't buy chametz shalva, don't buy flour in a place that didn't sell its chametz. So that's the only two things you have to know. Okay, next. Um, going, how long does chametz of a Pesach be an issue? That's one of the uh, big questions that I'm always asked and, and nobody has an answer. Uh, somebody will ask, he'll tell you uh, two weeks. Somebody will say uh, till uh, you know t- t- till Lagba Omer. Another one will say until Shavuos. Another one will say until the summer. I happen to know the story. I have a story. I've told it here before. I come up to with a bungalow colony. This back goes back many years. I'm a bungalow colony in Swan Lake, and there was a little store there that was owned by a Jew selling, you know, a little grocery store. I don't even know. I can't remember it too well, except the, the except the dust. I remember, and there in the back, 
was something that had, it was mamish chametz, had a good hashgacha, mamish chametz, and you could blow the dust off the package, which means that it had been there for months and months and months, I hope not years, but definitely for very long, and there's no question that it was, if they didn't sell their chametz, then this was chametz she'ovah Pesach, and they weren't religious. So it, it was um, a concern that I had. I didn't buy it, but I'm just saying that it taught me a lesson that this thing that you always get rid of it, it's all gone 100% by Shavuos. It's not, nothing is 100%, but you can op, you can uh, you can act according to that, especially with the Mishnah Brewer that I gave you about the Suffolk Chomach Pesach. So that's why everybody gives some kind of a date, but no one really agrees with the date because we don't really know the volume that much, and we don't really get a clear idea. We say, "Oh, probably moved in two weeks, three weeks." And Rabbi uh, Luban says that he uses Lag Bomer, which is twenty-five days after Pesach. Oh, that's what he does. Um, now, some rabbis arrange to sell not only individual stores, but entire supermarket chains. They're selling a hundred stores. Some supermarket chains are a thousand stores. I don't know if, if any Jewish owned in that bunch, but uh, there are supermarket chains that are huge, of more than a thousand stores. So can you make a little sale, a little piece of paper, and just scribbles a few things down, just have somebody sign, and everything's taken care of? So that's uh, that's very weak. After all, some supermarkets are open on Pesach, and now he goes through discussing the Stechemed, who is Machmir, um, so that he thinks the, uh, that's when a person sells chametz, it shows that his whole intention was not real. Now, Rabbi Luban points out that he sells the chametz for the OU. <laughs> he's, he's the rabbi who sells the chametz for the OU. Not the, what they have in their offices, for the entire OU. He, he sells every year all the chametz. He, the companies give him the paper, give the paperwork in, and he is the person to sell either the rabbi to sell to one goy all of the companies that the OU certifies that are Jewish owned in any which way that they have to make a mechiras chametz. It's often occurred to me that's what Rabbi Luban is saying that the total value of this chametz amounts to hundreds of millions of dollars. Every year, I meet with an accommodating non-Jew who graciously purchases this chametz for a down payment of $10. <laughs> I explained to him that the balance payment is not due until after Pesach. If one year, I decide that that would be, uh, I would decide not to repurchase the chametz. This kind-hearted purchaser would have to come up with an astronomical sum that would uh, that would be way beyond his means. So how can the whole thing be valid if if you're doing that? So this was taken up by the Bechor Shor on Psachim Chaf Aleph Amud Aleph. The Bechor Shor says, he asks this question, and he gives a teretz of how it would be kosher, even though uh, the man can't possibly afford it. But a lot of people, because of this shayla that the Bechor Shor raised, do not 
agree with these kinds of mechiris chometzes. But that, that takes into account not necessarily just the, the supermarkets. It might take into account the sale that, of your chometz that you made through your rabbi, because I could tell you the facts. Many rabbis don't sell the chometz. They take as a shliach from, from you, the makabel, a shliach to sell the chometz, and then they go over to another rabbi who is, you know, got a lot of experience in this topic, and he will sell. When I was growing up, there was one rav who sold the chometz for the entire community of maybe seven, eight, ten rabbis or more. I mean, maybe much more than that. One rabbi sold it. Every rabbi became a shliach, and then he gave his shlichus over to this one rabbi who was a well-known Talmud Chacham Poisek, and that's the only one. None of these rabbis would take it on themselves. They're rabbis of shuls. They got the uh, donations from the <laughs> from the mispalim, but they didn't want to touch it, and they and they gave it over to this one big rav, and he sold all the chametz. So that sale was even if it wasn't for t- hundreds of millions of dollars, it might be ten thousand, fifty thousand dollars. This fellow coming in, can he put together that money? <laughs> so and 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 and, and you know, and he's he this. I always love to tell that one story. I've said it here before, that uh, the, the, the Rabbi Katz from Borough Park, um, he, he was uh, he, he was selling his he's selling chametz, so he sold the chametz to a goy, and then afterwards uh, the uh, the goy came with the second man after Pesach, and he's saying, well, you know, who, who is this gentleman? He says, that's my lawyer. I want to make sure that everything is proper. He says, that's, Label Katz said that, Rabbi Label Katz from Barbara, he said, that's a good goy. <laughs> he took it seriously. He wasn't, he wasn't fooling around. But if you don't change the goyim every once in a while, then uh, they get to the, the idea, it's all a game. And you give him beer, something at the end, you know, he knows he's going to get some kind of a, a treat at the end. So <laughs> he's not really taking it seriously either. That's a big question. So this is one of the questions the Bukhar Shor raises. So therefore, if you have the questions on the supermarket, you have to know there are questions on all of the sales on a certain level. Of course, I don't want to turn anybody off from selling chametz. The Rabbanim do the proper job. They use many, many kinyonim. There's, uh, there's the, the sources go back hundreds of years for this sale. Everybody does it. I'm not questioning it whatsoever. I'm just pointing out that the Bukhar Shor's kasha, you could ask, on a lot of uh, a lot of the sales. Um, now, the OU position, and I think this is interesting. They follow Rabbi Soloveitchik, Rosh Hashanah who says that in stark contrast to the mechiras chametz of a halachically observant Jew, the sale of a supermarket that's fully open for business on Pesach lacks the aura of respectability. And Rav Soloveitchik said it has no validity. But Moshe, of course, was Mekel. We know that. We quoted it already. But the OU follows Rav Salavajik and will not sell chametz when the store is open and selling chametz on Pesach. So how does the OU certify Jewish-owned businesses? People are not religious. They make chametz. How do they do it? Believe it or not, that the, the, these manufacturers have to sign a contract with the OU, when they first start, that they're not permitted to manufacture or distribute chametz during Pesach. That's, let that sink in. 
an OU company owned by a Jew is not permitted to manufacture or distribute chametz during Pesach, and he signed that when he first got the OU. That's how strict they are about it. So I think I gave you a, a little bit of a taste of it, and of course, if you have a chance, you read this article from Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Luban because he goes into uh, the sale of Rabbi Taitz's sale, and he talks a little bit about speaking to Rabbi Taitz about uh, how the sale is done. It's a very interesting thing, and uh, there's no question that uh, uh, there, there are people doing this and have been doing it for, you know, as I say, 30, 40 years in America, relying on the true promotion, relying on Rabbi Taitz from Elizabeth. The senior Rabbi Taitz is no longer here, and Elizabeth Taitz continues it and uh, does an excellent job. I know that. But everybody has different opinions, and that's what happened here. So rather than uh, the action that many people had, that there's a machlekes between the, this kashrus agency and that kashrus agency, there's no respect in kashrus, nobody cares about anybody, it's all money, it's, uh, there's, no, there's nothing lishma here. You see, obviously, Rav Moshe was mekel, the whole thing is taken out of proportion, da-da-da-da. But when you study the topic, you see that there are legitimately two or three or more approaches and that it's not one-sided. Um, not everybody can go just and sell on to sign a little piece of paper and huge businesses are now sold for Pesach and even though they're operating as if it was, uh, as if it was, uh, it's after Pesach already. Now you can't, it can't be uh, that, that everybody agrees with that and some do and some don't and each person has to ask his own rov for guidance, not just in the beer, beer, the supermarkets, how long to wait after Pesach, which stores to go to, all of that is something that the Rav should know. Now, a lot of people say, Ryan does is no, but your Rav can give you an address. The only address you can't get is mine because I don't maintain any lists of recommended stores because I'll tell you a secret. I don't go to Goyish stores. I go to Yiddish stores after Pesach because I feel that they do sell the chametz properly. And, and so I, I can't talk about shop rights and, uh, you know, this store and that store. I just can't talk about it at all. And I know that the from owners are concerned about the Shiloh of chametz of a Pesach and they will buy from proper sources that sold the Pesach, sold the chametz or didn't have it in their possession, etc. And uh, they have to do the research about whether it's coming from Jewish distributors that didn't sell the chametz. That's their burden. And as Rav Shimon Ida taught us, he said that it's a drabonin, it's only a rabbonin, the rabbonic, the rabbinic din about chametz of a Pesach and you could rely on a Jew and the Jew tells you he did a proper job of his sale you got to believe him, and if he did a proper job of researching it, and just like you could trust him for everything else he's doing, you could trust him for this as well. So that concludes my little research onto the beer issue. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, if you want to reach us for any reason, you can reach Kashmir's Magazine by calling 718-336-8544, 718-336-8544, or you can send us an email at Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. We will, uh, I don't think I'll be writing this thing up, but you heard today, because it's a little hot. I want to see things, let things settle, and maybe we'll do put something together for before Pesach next year. That I would like to do. Um, 
but they are, but the next issue that's coming out is our travel guide, which is amazing. Over 360 cities throughout the 50 United States. We have every state included. Jewish travel guide, kosher travel guide, where to stay, what to do, where to, what to eat, uh, you know, attractions, uh, telephone numbers, addresses, uh, minion times, everything, all included. Uh, over 144 pages, and that's coming out in a few weeks. So if you're interested in that, call us at 718-336-8544. Until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine.